we are. Welcome to another episode of the Good Newscast. My name is Colin Coates. Colin. Here with Jeff Hatton. Um, Jeff, senior pastor at Redeemer. Myself, Runt, uh, pastor <laughs> at Redeemer. Um, we, we a couple weeks ago, recorded um, a podcast on covenant theology, kind of did a big flyover of covenant theology. So we're back to do part two um, to get a little bit more into the details. What, what happened to us? Why were we gone? Oh, did COVID separate these episodes? <laughs> yes, I lose track did. of time, honestly. Yes. Crazy. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we both got COVID. Yeah, we had COVID. Yeah. So Jeff took it better than I did. Mild flu for me. But oh. you did better with it, I thought. Yeah, I think. From s- what I heard. The symptoms. From yeah. you. Whatever yeah. are supposed to be COVID symptoms, I did okay. It was just that inflammation aspect that. Yeah. It gets me. As you said on Sunday, our church is for sure at herd immunity. Oh, my word. I, I would think so. At this point. Um, yeah. So today we're going to do a bit more detailed uh, detailed um, episode on covenant theology. What is it? Why does it matter? Um, Jeff's about to do a class here at our church on Wednesday nights for six weeks on covenant theology. Um, before we get into it, what's mm-hmm. something like interesting we could give to the people to give them what they want for what i don't know we don't have a cookie oh i need to remember to bring cookies okay so here's something interesting so some friends of mine came from fort worth and brought some homemade i guess there's a there's a cookie store up there that's really really good and i was telling uh i had some the other night that i put in the freezer and because when covid hit i couldn't taste them so i wasn't gonna Mm -hmm. eat them Mm -hmm. if i couldn't taste them and uh had this chocolate chip mint mm. Mm. chunk cookie. Phenomenal. Yeah, I'm not on board for it, but I'll... Uh, it, was, it was phenomenal. And that's not... The mint and the chocolate is usually not my mm-hmm. my pursuit. I usually don't go in that direction with cookies. But the combination... I don't know. Maybe it was, you know, my taste is starting to come back. My smell mm-hmm. is coming back. So that's the only things I was smelling and tasting. Mm-hmm. So it, it was <laughs> extraordinarily meaningful. Uh, but man, it was so good. It, I was dunking it in milk and I was like, okay, this is this is a good cookie. And I was, I was wondering if we could bring, somehow get that cookie down here when we have full faculties and actually yeah. enter it into our contest of- We could fly it in. Yeah. We the new private jet that the church has bought for us. Serious? Yeah, we could use. Yeah, that would be good. Um, what was the place called where the cookie came oh, from? I, I can't. I can't remember. So there's yeah. a place in. I think I want to say it's in Fort Worth, um, but may, maybe not Fort Worth, but definitely Dallas. Uh, I think it's maybe out of California called Susie Cakes. That when you said Fort Worth made me think of Susie Cakes. Got enough? That's what you're going to say. Yeah. Susie Cakes has. One of the greatest, um, it's, uh, I think it's molasses. I think it's a molasses Ooh, I cookie. I love molasses cookies. I think that's what it is. Yeah. Dude, Phenomenal. this cookie is unbelievable. Are they thick or thin? They are thin and they are huge. Oh. I say thin, they're like medium. Okay. But they are soft and they're like. Oh, yeah. It's got to be soft. Oh, they're it so. And up. it has this drizzle of icing on top. It's literally unbelievable. Yeah. It's unbelievable. It's a cookie unlike anything I've. It's really a dessert. Molasses cookies are so. If they're soft, that they have. Mm. Those are dunking cookies to mm. me. Like incredible dunking cookies. So yeah, you can't have a hard molasses cookie like those ginger snap things. I'm not into those. But a good 
thick, soft. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I'm not on board for the mint. I tell our youth students yeah. all the time, like a lot of them love mint chocolate chip ice cream yeah. because they need to get saved. Yeah. And I always tell them like, <laughs> it's garbage. Like mint in dessert is garbage. The only mint goes in toothpaste and it goes in mojitos. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, let's do let's do covenant theology. Yeah. So we just a uh, little recap, and then I'm going to let you talk. Sure. Uh, what is covenant theology? Why does it matter? There's probably much better ways to explain it than I will now, but hmm. I think a helpful way to understand is like if you know at, at Redeemer we'll say something like the Bible's all about Jesus. Yeah. Um, uh, the Bible's you know, one story. Christ and Him crucified. Yep. So then if someone was really asked, like, okay, well, how does that really play out? You could maybe take another level and say, well, the whole story from Genesis to, uh, to Revelation is really about Jesus. Okay, mm-hmm. but how? Covenant yeah. theology really strikes at the heart of how the Bible's all about Jesus or yeah. the, the architecture, you, you know? And so, yeah. so when we're talking about covenant theology, even if it sounds a bit abstract or foreign, it is very much on the ground. We're talking about things like Adam and Eve. We're talking about Abraham. Mm-hmm. We're talking about Moses and the Ten Commandments. We're talking about uh, King David. Mm. We're talking about why David and his throne is related to Jesus, even in the opening of Romans. Yeah. So, so these are very like in your face, on the ground things that we're dealing with with covenant theology and how we understand the Bible and how we read it. And why we would ever say something like it's one story, mm-hmm. and it's a story about Jesus? Yeah, I, I so, agree. It's telling. It's it's how do you tell the story? Covenant theology tells you how to tell the story. Uh, if the Bible has a soil to it in which uh, all the characters grow out of the soil, and the some major themes grow out of the soil, and uh, Theological topics grow out of the soil. What's the soil? Well, the the soil would be covenant theology. Um, it's telling the story of Jesus and his salvation, and that's a mm-hmm. yeah, that's a great an architectural. You said the foundations or the architecture mm-hmm. behind it, the Bible. I think that's other other good ways. Um, theologians would say that uh, covenant theology is how the kingdom of God uh, comes. Mm. to us in the mm-hmm. Bible. It's the how, it's the administration, it's the yeah, the soil, the substructure, the and so if you find some of the substructure and you find some of the framework or you find oh you dig up some of the soil that actually enriches your whole understanding of the Bible and mm-hmm. it and it not only helps you like when you plow into a uh, go deep into a particular passage and uh, it helps you understand that particular passage. So it's mm-hmm. that that storyline of the whole Bible that helps, like if you have, a, again, a map of a forest, you have the forest and you have the trees, covenant theology helps you navigate. It's the map of that forest. It gives meaning to a particular tree in the forest. Oh, that's the such and such tree and it contributes to the forest this way. And Mm -hmm. yeah, so it's really, really helpful. Yeah. So we've talked about episode one real quick. We kind of were big. There's a couple of big covenants we see uh, in the Bible and play out in the Bible covenant of works. Yes. Essentially we're talking about this uh, two way street between God and man. If you do this X, Y, and Z, if you fulfill the covenant, man, 
mm-hmm. and woman, then there will be blessing. If then yeah. covenant of works, we see that in the Bible, we'll get specific of where that is and where we see it. Covenant of grace, one-way street. It's not an if-then thing. It's like a, I promise to do yeah. blank yep. grace. Um, I promise to deliver and save. Covenant of redemption, we have God the Father sending God the Son Mm-hmm. Uh, in the power of the Spirit to save and really fulfill the covenant of works. Yes. So you have two. And grace. <laughs> so you have basically two major global covenant yep. of works, uh, and one of them, the one that Jesus accomplished, is where the covenant of grace sits on top of that. It's yeah. it happens because of the relationship uh, that Jesus fulfills the covenant of works. Yeah. So three global covenants. And I think it's important to note that a covenant, again, is a binding relationship, mm-hmm. uh, just in its trying to tease out an understanding of it. That seems to be the most helpful for me, uh, a binding relationship. And so when you talk about, well, what's the, the binding? What, you know, you bind two people together and you, you know, everyone's done this in the past from different cultures of whether it's mingling blood by the joining of hands or it's taking cords and tying them around two hands to symbolize it or like when you get to Abraham and they split animals and they walk through the animals to form this binding relationship. Uh, The binding, the cords, uh, can be two types. They can be performance-based bindings. Uh, The relationship can be bound based on performance. That's the covenant of works, and you have two of them. You have the uh, covenant of works that's really how creation was established with Adam and then the one with uh, God the Father and Jesus. And then you have these cords or these bindings that's something that's strange, it's new, uh, it's not innate, it's not natural to us, it's not written into the very spiritual fabric of the universe like performances and works is, and uh, it's grace. Mm-hmm. And that's a different kind of binding, and that's that's God binding himself to a sinner by grace. Mm -hmm. So that's huge. Those are three global covenants um, that have historical manifestations in real time and in history. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's good stuff. All right, so specifically where, maybe we can start with the covenant of works. Someone goes, hey, where in my Bible do I actually turn to even see this and what you're talking about? Maybe starting with the covenant of works, where would where would someone go? Yeah, you would you would you would go right to the beginning, right to Genesis one uh, and two. Um, you can actually see how uh, Genesis and uh, well, even when we get to Deuteronomy with Israel, um, it's laid out like a covenant. Many uh, scholars have pointed out that the way Genesis is structured is like an ancient treaty. Hmm. Uh, which is fascinating. So an ancient treaties in those days had certain elements to them, whether it's the king uh, announcing who he is and then the king uh, talking about the wonders of his kingdom and then setting up uh, a reality of his kingdom that's based on the uh, servant of this covenant fulfilling certain uh, performance-oriented realities. And that's what we find in in Genesis, you find uh, that all of creation is actually a cutting of a covenant, Mm -hmm. that God is binding himself uh, in love to his creation. He speaks it into being. And so you have this sense in which uh, every 
creature, all of creation, is living by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So God speaks uh, everything into being. Everything is worded. Everything is put together and structured, and its ultimate inherent uh, DNA is the Word of God, right? Uh, this this incredible reality of that. And so you have God speaking everything in the being. You have all the elements, the servants of this creation uh, responding, let there be light. Light says, yes, sir. The animals, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And it's kind of building to its climax of the prized creature, uh, which would be the human being, which would be Adam and Eve. And will Adam and Eve uh, hear and obey? Will Adam and Eve... uh, live by every word that comes from the mouth of God? Mm. Will Adam and Eve, the prized creature in which everything hangs, will they be the covenant servant? Will they um, listen and hear and live by every word from the mouth of God? And and we know the rest of the story Mm. on that one. They Mm. did not. Um, But that's where the covenant of works is structured, what people have called the covenant of works, covenant of creation. Um, And that's why the... The very fabric of the universe is rooted in a law. It's rooted Mm -hmm. in works. It's rooted in uh, do this and live. Mm -hmm. It's rooted in conditionality. It's rooted in consequence. It's rooted rooted in uh, measurements. It's rooted in death and life. Everything, Mm -hmm. right? It's this is not something that we are taught. This is not something that certain cultures seem to be dominant in. Every culture lives by this reality. Mm-hmm. The spiritual fabric of the universe is, is worded. Uh, it's, it's laud, so to speak, that this is who God is. This is reality. Uh, to not live by this reality is to actually separate yourself from life, to enter into the negation of life and the act of death. And uh, you do this, you live. Uh, the day you eat of this, uh, by not trusting and living by every word that comes from God's mouth, you die. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Even, yeah, I, I'm just thinking about Romans 1, too, in terms of like, because we talk a lot about at Redeemer how the the law and if-then performance is intuitive. It's it's That's our natural default mode. Um, our natural default mode as humans is not the gospel is this outside message yes. that we would never just, it's not written on our hearts in the sense of like when we come into being, what is written in our hearts when we come into this world is the law. And Paul, when he talks about the law, um, you know, says that the law says, if you do this, you will live. So it's performance yeah. um, wrapped up in, in the 10 commandments. Yeah. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about how it, how that even how the Ten Commandments also does serve this overarching uh, covenant of grace because it's the law that kills us and drives us to Christ. But in and of itself, if you don't want Jesus, you're just left with the, the Ten Commandments. We'll talk about this in a second, I guess, when we get to kind of Moses. But mm-hmm. um, you're left with law, performance, and it's written on our hearts. Romans 1, even when Paul says, we all know there's a God. And we know that he is deserving of our worship and honor and to give him glory. That's really what we know by nature. We know that there's this great God and we should honor him. And if we're honest with ourselves, we just know we don't, period. 
<laughs> you know, yeah. there's not this good news message of grace written on our hearts. That's just what we know about the world. Hmm. And that's 100% true. Yeah. We are creatures made by God who's worthy of our worship and honor and total devotion and total obedience. Um, Adam and Eve were made for that. They were called to it and they sinned and they failed and they did not fulfill the covenant. And one of the controlling emotions uh, that surrounds the covenant of works is fear, anxiety, and shame. Mm-hmm. So um, that's fascinating. That's mm-hmm. rooted right in the very beginning, that that's the first thing that uh, Adam and Eve experienced was fear, anxiety, shame, a sense of being exposed, nakedness. Um, I mean, Brene Brown is making millions off that yeah. reality, right? So uh, this is not something made up or something that Western civilization has this neurotic sense of guilt and legal categories. Uh, it's it's there because it's reality. Mm-hmm. Um, it's real. It is the very the uh, the Puritans would say it speaks to our condition. This is this is real. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, deeply rooted. Uh, Romans makes it real clear, and even folks have talked about general revelation. That's saying the same thing. General mm-hmm. revelation is the law. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the reality that the whole fabric of the universe uh, is lawed. It's worded. Uh, it's works. Yeah. So just to, and hopefully I'm not kind of skipping ahead, I'll, I'll make a comment on the Ten Commandments. And then we'll we'll go to grace. Where does grace come into this in the covenant of grace? Uh, I think it's important, and, and, and you and I, we talk a lot about this at Redeemer too, the distinction between the law and the gospel. And, and we've done podcasts on this. We'll do future ones. But the giving of the Ten Commandments, there's a number of things we could say about it. And, and, and you, I'll let you kind of talk about how it does serve the covenant of grace, and yeah. it, because it does. Yeah. Um, and in one sense, we see that, you know, God rescues his people from Egypt and then gives them the law. Um, but the law in and of itself, again, Paul especially is very clear with this in Romans. Um, he's clear in it, especially in Galatians, where he says, cursed, the Old Testament, quoting the Old Testament, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. In other words, when you look at the Ten Commandments, um, a, a primary function of the Ten Commandments or the giving of the law is to say, hey, if you do all this, you have life if you do it. If you do all these commandments and if you are perfect perpetually, personally, all the time, then you will have life and blessing. Well, that in and of itself is a, um, I think Michael Horton uses the word reiteration. I think Mm -hmm. it is an expression of the covenant of works. It is a reiteration of what God told Adam and Eve in the garden. Don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Fast forward. Don't murder people. Don't steal. And by the way, if you don't, if you are perfect, if you don't eat of the tree, Adam and Eve, or... Israelites, if you don't do all these things and if you do all these right things, you will have eternal life, you know? And um, I don't know if the slide of the hand's the right way to say it or misdirection, but but if we're honest, we see that it's this great kind of misdirection because it's almost like God steps in and and tells Adam and Eve, um, you you know, hey, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil while they have the fruit in their hand. Yeah. It's like, well, that's not going to work. Sorry if you can hear my phone going off. so even, and we see it happen with the Ten Commandments, by the time Moses gets down, 
Israel's broken like 11 of the 10, right? <laughs> right. Like um, right. It, it, it never, right. God did not give that law yeah. with any idea, right. fingers crossed. So a primary function of it mm. was to crush them, to yeah. say, hey, you have failed the covenant of works. You are born failures of the covenant of works, dead in sin. Yeah. And I am trying to show you that so that you don't put your hope in fulfilling the covenant of works. Yeah. You haven't done it. You're not doing it. As I'm giving these 10 commandments, you're not doing it. You won't do it. That's so important because uh, notice that when Jesus is called the, the true Adam and the true Israel, uh, it's fascinating that that's the way he's described. Mm-hmm. And both those setups from Israel as a, as a national physical reality, ethnic reality, and then obviously Adam and Eve, uh, there's this sense of the covenant of works. That's where the covenant of works comes in. Um, you have this almost like a reduplication uh, of it with Moses uh, mm-hmm. in national Israel and staying in the land. Um, and then Jesus fulfills being the true Israel mm-hmm. that he keeps the law, uh, the true Adam that he keeps the covenant mm-hmm. of works on our behalf so that there can be, which is what we all want, the good news of the covenant of grace. Mm-hmm which then is basically the, the whole story of the unfolding of the Bible. So you have Genesis uh, 1 and 2 unfolding this covenant of works, and uh, if Adam um, would have lived by every word that comes from the mouth of God, uh, if Adam would have obeyed, he would have put creation on his shoulders and carried creation forward mm-hmm. and upward to glorification, to its final, ultimate, consummate reality. Mm -hmm. And this is very important. So what covenant theology establishes in its understanding of what's happening in creation and what's happening in Genesis 1 and 2 is that creation is unfinished business. Mm -hmm. Uh, The garden was meant to stretch over all creation by the working of the land, by the work of Adam and Eve. Mm -hmm. They were to work and love creation to life, Mm -hmm. to take it forward and upward to the consummation, to final and full reality. Mm -hmm. Um, So creation's unfinished business. So the goal is not to get back to that state. The goal is to go forward to eternal life, to consummation, uh, to glorification, to use some, some bigger theological words. So that's what Jesus then does for us, right, is that he is the true Adam, who does live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's the true Israel that does keep every word from God, uh, is perfect in his person, perfect in his works, uh, his character, his, uh, the very nature of who he is. He's perfect, uh, holy, uh, blameless, um, and therefore he is resurrected, and crowned king, and given a new heavens and a new earth, like Adam was supposed to. Uh, so that's a that's a rich perspective way in the beginning that actually helps us understand what Jesus does. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like when theologians were unpacking. Oh yeah, yeah. It, the goal isn't just to get back to Genesis one. That's not what salvation is doing. Salvation is actually taking us upward and forward mm-hmm. to its ultimate, final, the union 
of a larger reality between the invisible heavens and the visible earth forming this one larger reality. Mm -hmm. That is the end game. That's eschatology, as, as theologians would say. So where where do we start seeing the covenant of grace in the beginning? Talk a little bit about on that. Where yeah, do we see great. it start to actually, you know, break into history? Okay, so uh, what's fascinating again? There's that. There's a. There's even some songs uh, that sing about uh, when Adam and Eve sin, um, and God comes to visit them in Genesis three. It talks about God coming in the spirit of the day, the whirlwind of the day, um, which. Uh, it's it's talking about it's not that God's taking a nice walk with his children in the in the breeze or the best time of the day around four or five o'clock when the sun goes down, but he's coming because they've sinned, mm -hmm. and he's coming to enact uh, the judicial mm -hmm. legal realities of breaking the covenant, and that's why they're hiding. That's why they're terrified, and it's the same word in the spirit of the day, the whirlwind of the day, not in the cool of the day. In the whirlwind of the day, it's the same words that are used when God shows up on Sinai. And in and pretty much other manifestations like the whirlwind that God hurls at Jonah. I mean, these are all judgment mm -hmm. realities, right? Uh, so God shows up. The moment that Adam and Eve, this is what should have happened. When they were said, uh, the day you eat of it, you will die. That is a comprehensive final death or condemnation. That's what was supposed to happen. Uh, so I want, if you visually visualize this, you could visualize an arrow going down to final condemnation, final comprehensive death. That was what's supposed to happen the moment they ate. The moment that they ate and they were still breathing mm -hmm. and looking at each other like, oh, we're still here. Mm -hmm. uh, things had drastically begun to change, but final condemnation didn't happen. From that moment, something strange just entered creation. Something strange <laughs> just invaded the world, and that is God relating to sinners by grace. Mm -hmm. So grace entered. So instead of going creation going to final condemnation, creation went almost at a, instead of going straight down north and south, going down south, it went more in a diagonal way to corruption. And that... From that point on is the covenant of grace is this thing that stretches from Adam and Eve still breathing to the last human being, the last child of God on earth is under this covenant of grace. So whatever happens in the Bible is happening under the context of this overarching arc, literally canopy of a covenant of grace. So... You had the covenant of works blown up uh, and by Adam and Eve in their sin. It's still present, but the blessings aren't present. The curses are present. Mm -hmm. That's why we're experiencing everything that we experience now personally and uh, creation does. Uh, but God did not give the final full curse, final full death, mm -hmm. final full condemnation. It kind of went sideways to a corruption. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in a backhanded way, corruption is an act of grace, that the world continued, Adam and Eve continued to breathe, because mm -hmm. God was putting in a new way, a new plan. Uh, oh, I should say it this way. He was, he's basically saying, I'm still committed to taking you to the consummation. Yeah. Um, we're just going to do it with a better Adam. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to do it with uh, a perfect human being that 
a savior, a redeemer that's going to come and put all of creation and you on his shoulders and take you to mm-hmm. uh, eternal life, mm-hmm. to the right hand of the throne of God, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So again, that moment on that they're still breathing to whenever the last human being before the consummation comes of the new heavens and new earth, we now live in the time of the covenant of grace. Mm-hmm. So uh there's rich stuff going on in there. I'm, I could be firing off everything yeah. from common grace that we could talk about uh, to the historical manifestations and embodiments and expressions of the covenant of grace in certain historical uh, periods or epics mm-hmm. or chapters in the story of salvation or the one story of Jesus and his salvation. And uh, I think, too, about... Uh, Genesis 3, I'm going to send a seed of the woman to crush the head of the snake. Like if you get real specific on where do we see this covenant of grace really pop up historically and specifically in real time, real people, that many see as the first clear expression where in the midst of the curses that are coming and the corruption that's coming, there's this promise. uh, I'm going to send a seed. I'm going to send someone to to crush the head of the snake which you should have done mm-hmm. adam you should have stomped on him but i'll send someone to stomp on him and then in just the most beautiful i just think it's one of those beautiful pictures um you, you know they're naked and ashamed and god sacrifices an animal and clothes them oh, no. um so so already in the very 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 beginning i'm going to send a serpent crusher we get this shadow of sacrifice Fast forward, lo and behold, the, the, the snake crusher shows up, Jesus, who is a sacrifice to cover us in his righteousness. Um, and it, feel free to kind of riff, and then we'll, we'll, I mean, we can kind of wrap this up. But you think about Abraham. So mm-hmm. in the New Testament, Paul, especially very much when he thinks about Moses, kind of in summary fashion or, or general uh, ways of thinking, when he, when he talks a lot about Moses and thinks about Moses and the law, he talks in terms of covenant of works. He talks in terms mm-hmm. of if then, if then, if then. Yeah. So that's why in Romans he says, I was committed to the law. Right? He says this in Philippians, Romans, I was zealous for the law. I saw myself as really fulfilling it or, you know, mm-hmm. doing it. And, um, and But then the law actually hit home. Then I actually listened to the law because of ultimately the Holy Spirit opening his heart and I, and, and I saw that, oh, I don't fulfill it. Yeah. So he very much uh, relates that to Moses, the Ten Commandments. Uh, Jesus uh, is not uh, a second Moses in that fashion. Mm-hmm. But when Paul talks about Abraham, he yeah. sees Abraham and the Abrahamic covenant yeah. as this expression of the covenant of grace. Abraham was counted righteous righteousness imputed to him through faith alone circumcision was not this uh, meritorious thing that abraham did so i think these are helpful ways to think about the covenant of grace uh, especially with with the abrahamic covenant when we when you get to abraham in genesis it's like oh father abraham sing the song i learned who cares what i We'll te- yeah, this is good. So we'll tease out. You've got this uh, visually. I'm I'm very visual. So I want you to think of like a, a loop or a, a, a what do you call it? Like a dome that goes from 
that stretches from Adam and Eve, the moment they're still breathing, even though the what's happening, what's taking place hasn't been worded to them yet, which Colin just pointed out beautifully in, in the, the words of Genesis 3.15, uh, this, this child, this, this heavenly hero, but human child. That's why Genesis, have you ever wonder why Genesis is so consumed with genealogies? Mm-hmm. I never understood why these genealogies were there. Mm-hmm. Because the Bible was, everybody was looking for this heavenly human child, this one that would crush the serpent's head. And that's why even even Noah's own dad said, is it my son? Right? Everyone was looking for this child. That's why you had the genealogies. And then you had the, the seed of the serpent, and you had those genealogies. So that ex- even covenant theology helps us see just why endless genealogies. All right, so I want you to think of a dome, just a a loop, something that encompasses from the moment that Adam and Eve are still breathing to it stretches over like a dome to the last human being. Everything that happens in between there is the covenant of grace. So the Bible is going to significantly add some major chapters to the storyline. So you're going to get you're going to get uh, Noah. Well, what's that all about? There's some kind of covenant going on there. You're going to get Abraham. There's something going on there. You're going to get Moses in Israel. There's something going on there. You're going to get David. Uh, there's something going on there. But it's important to note those are historical chapters or manifestations or or unfolding, uh, giving you more data, more data depth, more fullness of what this covenant of grace looks like in each of those chapters, but they're all under the covenant of grace. Mm -hmm. So that's incredibly helpful. So remember, the global covenants, covenant of works with Adam, still in effect to this day. That's why we're corrupted and cursed. Um, Jesus becomes the true Adam, the global covenant of uh, redemption. He becomes the perfect human being. This is the gospel reality. That's, he fulfills the covenant of works. That's the called the covenant of redemption. And then you have this covenant of grace that God has with sinners because of what Jesus has done and promised to do. Those three things are global. They work themselves out in the history of the Bible through uh, that dome stretching from Adam and Eve all the way to the last human being. And now, now the Bible's history unfolds. Now the plan is progressively moving towards the Jesus when he shows up. And so you got, again, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, all seem to have significant um, historical additions or expressions of the covenant of grace. Mm-hmm. God, then, God is doing this one big work of grace, and then he's breaking it in these specific ways in different times with different people. Yes. Like Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, to fulfill this this big plan of grace, ultimately salvation that he's doing. Yeah. And, you know, and I think just to, to kind of um, at least bring this episode home, uh, again, we're left with um, we either we either trust ourselves to fulfill the covenant of works. We, we can call this self-righteousness because it's righteousness based on self, built by self. That's that's just that's that's just pure covenant of works right there. I've been told to do something, or at least I think I have, by some God out there, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to try to do it. 
and I'm going to try to please him and get on his good side and get into his heaven. We're talking covenant of works in a really general, general way. Without a doubt. Biblical covenant of works or some yeah. other kind, right? Or or with Paul and many others, we go the, the way of God, which is, um, hey, you have failed. I have given you the law to show you ultimately that you have failed. You can't fulfill the covenant of works. Good news, I sent my son to fulfill it for you, to do it for you, to, to pay for your sins, rise from the dead, ascend and give you his righteousness. Yes. Boom, fulfilled. Trust him. Yeah. Yeah. So trust him. You have to you have trust him. Build righteousness yourself yep. or trust the righteousness of another. Self righteousness or a Jesus righteousness. That's what's before us in explicit ways with the covenants. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. You got any final thoughts? I have many, but we're gonna hold them off okay. for another time. Okay, so maybe we'll maybe we'll keep riffing on this uh, as you start up uh, your class, um, or maybe we'll move move to something else. Who knows? Uh, thanks for listening, guys. Um, until next time, peace out.